Yeah, first service was a little tired, I think, but second service is like, let's do this new year thing. So um, for those of you who don't know, as Gabby just said, my name is Nick Mastrude, and I lead high school students and young adults here. We got any of them in there? Yeah. Yo! Yeah, cool. We've got a couple of them in here. Um, and I just want to start off by saying they are my passion, high schoolers, young adults. My favorite thing ever is to see people experience Jesus for the first time and then make decisions that completely alter the, the entirety of their lives. And something we say in youth ministry a bunch is that note takers are world changers. That's what I'm talking about. So with that, I want to invite you, man, take some notes this morning. Um, take out your Bibles. You're going to need those guys. And uh, I just want to preface this morning that um, I don't know where you're at with Jesus right now. I don't know um, where every single one of you are at. I don't know whether you were born in a pew and you're like pretty familiar with this place. <laughs> I don't know if this is like your first time stepping foot into a church building. Some of you are like, what is a pew anyways? It's what you're sitting on. But um, but wherever you are with Jesus, I just want to let you know that you belong in this place, that you belong here. Um, you belong here far before you're expected to behave any certain way. And we believe that God has a plan and a purpose for each person here. And, and we're on a journey um, together of, of fulfilling that plan. And we're on a journey together of becoming like Jesus, becoming more and more like Jesus and making him known in the world. And the best part is that we don't have to do it alone. If you're new here, welcome to the family. We're stoked you're here. Get to know some people here. Um, with that, I want to invite you to get to know somebody new today, potentially. Hang around a little bit after the service. Get to know somebody. Community doesn't happen around a stage. It happens around a table and preferably uh, across a cup of coffee. So set up a time to enjoy some coffee with someone this week. Um, today, I have the honor of teaching just kind of a standalone message. Um, I was going to kick off a series, but that would have been awkward because Dave was going to have to finish it and he didn't know what it was going to be. So um, <laughs> aside from any sort of sermon series, um, and, and I'm excited that I get to do that, but even though it's just kind of a standalone, my hopes and my prayers for this message are just big. I have huge desires of what might come out of this, especially as we respond to God's word. And with that, I wanna start like this. As followers of Jesus, we are on a journey of taking on the characteristics and life of Jesus, put simply. Or uh, put another way, we're on a journey towards what is called transformation. And um, th this term transformation in Greek is metamorpho, which is where um, we get the English term metamorphosis. And this term captures the, the imagery of the drastic life-altering change that like a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly. That's some pretty gnarly change right there. Would you agree? Yeah, pretty intense, pretty intense change right there. And we're all faced with this, this crazy reality that we are being shaped spiritually. And you might be thinking, Nick, but I'm not a Christian. Every human being, Christ follower or not, is being shaped spiritually. The only question is who or what are you being shaped into? Who or what are you being shaped into? We are on a lifelong quest of what is known as spiritual formation. And, and what I wanna talk about today, especially as we head into a brand new year, is one of the greatest enemies to our spiritual life that I think every one of us have been affected by in one way or another. There is actually something that can destroy, that can um, shake and rock the whole vision of our spiritual formation, and it might not be what you think. Are you guys ready? Awesome. If you pull out your Bibles, Matthew 11, um, starting in verse 23, it says this, come to me, 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Does anybody need any rests this morning? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What we have here is an invitation for all the tired and burnout and worn out and over busy people. This is an invitation, my friends. Um, anybody feel that way this morning? A little bit tired, a little bit burned out, maybe a little bit worn out, a little bit foggy. You can't see straight, maybe just a little bit. Okay. In, in, in the world we live in today, the vast majority of us, we live with kind of like this simmering fatigue and anxiety because of busyness, and we rarely know how to escape it. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this, this text. Listen to what it says. Are you tired? This is when you write, yes. Worn out? Yes. Burned out on religion? Well, I have news for you. Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That is beautiful. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is an invitation into the unhurried life. What would it be like for your year 2019 to be a year where, where it feels good in the depth of your being to wake up in the morning, to hear your kids already awake screaming in the other room with like your calendar already dinging that you're late for, late for an appointment, to stare down the schedule of another day and then to experience excitement to follow Jesus with your whole being. How awesome would that be? But how many of you, you read this and you think, man, if I'm being honest, you might think, I, I follow Jesus, but I, I am very tired, I'm very worn out, and I'm pretty burned out. If that is you, you are not the only one in that boat. I would argue that most of us fall underneath that umbrella. And I think that this reality of Scripture, because of that, has the power to give direction to our spiritual life and discipleship to Jesus when it comes to busyness and our daily rhythms and routines. So the famous Bible scholar Dallas Willard, he calls this the secret of the easy yoke. And secrets usually don't make friends, but we're going to dive into this one together, okay? And this is what it says. The, the secret of, that was a joke. Nobody even laughed. The secret of the easy yoke. What we have here is a look into the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is thinking that our faith consists just of loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, etc., while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It is a strategy bound to fail. If we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want the life of a runner, what do you have to do? Adopt the lifestyle of a runner. If you want to live like Jesus, adopt the lifestyle that Jesus lived. Jesus' life and his teaching, it wasn't just a list of, oh, really good ideas or just do's and don'ts. It was and is a lifestyle. This is what we do here every Sunday. We, we try to inspire and encourage and recalibrate a specific lifestyle. Something that is interesting about church history is that we can get really good at talking about beliefs and morals, which is super rad, you know, in, in one way. Um, 
it, but the reality is, is that um, following Jesus is a lifestyle. Your faith has far more to do with what happens outside those doors than what happens inside these doors. So what we believe and why we believe it, absolutely important, but lifestyle is where the money is at. If you're taking notes, write that down. Lifestyles, where the money's at. Um, I can tell you how to believe, what I can tell you what I think is right and wrong, but if you spend much time getting to know Jesus in the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus was all about the heart, right? He said, you've heard it said such and such, but I say, because he, he was concerned with the heart. And what flows out of your heart is a lifestyle, right? which is either very much like Jesus or not so much. And that is what Jesus is getting at when he speaks about the easy yoke. Listen to what Frederick Bruner says about this. He says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think of, of what tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life. How many of you need a new way to carry life? A fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism says that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering an escape, Jesus offers us equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his yoke will develop, develop us in a balanced way to carry life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. That is beautiful. Many of you know and James talked about this a little bit earlier, that there is an emotional weight to life. Some of you know this all too well. Um, raising, I don't know what it is, raising multiple kids, making ends meet, difficult family dynamics. Maybe you're like, yeah, Christmas made me realize that, or trouble at work, trouble with health, whatever. You know the weight that I'm talking about. And if we're being honest, discipleship to Jesus can feel like another weight to place on top of the weight that we already feel. But pay, pay close attention to what Jesus is saying. A yoke was always used to tie two animals together in order to carry heavy weight. Um, so Jesus is saying essentially here, he's saying like, dude, I have a yoke. It's not the egg kind. It's, a, it's an instrument. And I'm asking you to come alongside me, match your pace of life with mine, mimic what I do. Let me carry most of the weight. You just tuck right on in here. You trust me and I'm going to help you. That's what he's saying. The, the hardest way to follow Jesus is to, is to follow Jesus and then try to live like everybody else does, right? And, and not really change your time, not really change your schedule, not really change your lifestyle, and just add on top of that a little bit of discipleship to Jesus. That's so hard, I think it's next to impossible, but that's something that we try to do oftentimes in our discipleship to Jesus. The way that we're called to follow Jesus, however, is to radically alter our entire lifestyle to take the pattern set by Jesus' lifestyle and say, I wanna live like that. How is he living? What is my life like? I'm gonna live like that. Not in like the decision to love my enemy, but my morning routine, my weekly rhythm and how I live in community. And when you adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, then guess what? The life of Jesus is the natural byproduct, okay? Now, when I hear, th hear this, this text especially, I think, sweet, sign me up. Are you guys there too? You're like, that sounds nice. I'd like a real rest. Okay, sign me up. But then you think, if I, need, if I was going to do this, I would really need to slow my life down just for a second. I'd need to, I need to slow my life down. How many of you would need to slow your life down if you're going to do this? Kind of this pace, the speed's going a little fast. Okay, 
Because I know Jesus' pace of life. I know that he, you know, he was kind of a chill dude. And I know my pace of life. They're very, very different. If you've read the Gospels, you may have recognized something about Jesus, and it's that he was never in a rush. Have you ever read that in the text? Jesus was terrified because he was about to be late to his next appointment. Like, you don't see this. Or like, Jesus was panting because he was running to the next thing that was going. That never happened. But like, people would actually get frustrated with him for not hurrying in in high-stress moments. You know what I'm saying? His life was full, but it wasn't rushed. It was full, but he wasn't going insane. John Ortberg, he says it this way. I think this is so true. Hurry is the great enemy of the, of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. What if 2019, we ruthlessly just eliminated hurry from our lives? If, I, I'm convinced that this is true. If the enemy can't make you bad, he will make you busy. If the enemy can't distract or destroy you, I believe he will choose to distract you as much as he possibly can. And, if, and, and we are so distracted if we're continually in a rush, going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, going from place to place. Ronald Rollheiser, also preaching 101, if you want to preach, yeah, great, great quote, right? But preaching 101, just quote a bunch of people that are geniuses in the field and you're good. Um, <laughs> Listen to what he has to say about it. He says, today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together, and they're actually accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. If someone were to ask you, what is the greatest enemy or challenge when it comes to following Jesus today? I think that a lot of us will be like maybe secularism or like the political climate or racial tension or pornography. I don't know what it would be, but I, I don't think that we would be like hurry is at the top of that. I don't think that we would. The, the enemy, he doesn't always show up with like a pitchfork and horns like, you know, like the cartoon or whatever. He shows up more in the form of another commitment right? Or another hour in the office or the temptation to just keep going and keep going and, and never slow down, never be still before the Lord. I can't help but wonder if, if Jesus would say to our entire generation, you are worried and upset about many things. What he said to Martha in that famous story, you're, you're in the kitchen and man, dinner, super good. Thank you so much. But Mary is sitting at my feet and that is the disciple of Jesus. Are you still enough to be at the feet of Jesus? Are you still enough to be at the feet of Jesus? Michael Zigarelli says it like this. It may be the case that, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. We're just getting chaotic, which leads to, two, becoming marginalized, God becoming marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, three, a deteriorating relationship with God. Which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live. Which leads to five, more conformity to culture of busyness, hurry and overload. And then the cycle begins again. Um, I think that something that should take a whole lot of credit for this reality, this busy reality, is the rise of technology and the access that we have to it. And um, I think that, I think about like the, the rise of the iPhone or whatever phone of choice you have or whatever. And um, I, 
Think of that for a moment. Think of your phone. And then for a moment, let's read a definition real quick. Addiction. The relentless pull to a substance or an activity that becomes so compulsive that it ultimately interferes with everyday life. Hold on, I'm getting a text. You know what I'm saying? Like, if that's the definition, I think most of us struggle with that with our cell phones. Something is deeply wrong in our culture, and many of us have experienced that tension. We feel that. Um, psychologists have been studying what is called uh, hurry sickness. And listen how this is defined. A behavior pattern characterized by continually rushing and anxiousness. It's the mirage when a person feels chronically short on time and so tends to perform every act faster and then gets flustered when encountering any type of delay. When I first read this, I thought, dude, that's just the definition of normal life. Like, just go faster and hope that it all works out. Um, but I didn't know it was an actual condition. I'm sick and now I'm going to take some sick days. Okay? No. <laughs> Dave, write that down. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, yeah. Note takers are world changers, Dave. Let's do this. Um, Philip Bardo, a, a PhD psychologist, author of many books, he gives us um, three symptoms of hurry sickness. He says this, you move from one checkout line to another because it's shorter. That's just common sense, right? Why don't you... Everybody does... Duh, you don't want to get in the long one. Why would you do that? Two, when you come to a stoplight, you count the cars ahead of you and change lanes. That's just the Portland way, right? Three, you multitask to the point that you forget one of the tasks. Everybody has that, right? That's just the definition of a 21st century Portlander, right? So, but man, something that we must recognize though is that it can be very, hurry is detrimental to our lives. Hurry is a form of violence to the soul and none of us are immune. Hurry is a form of violence to the soul and none of us are immune. Ruth Haley Barton, she gives us, which I think are, is really interesting, 10 signs that you're moving too fast. And irritability, like you're on edge, you lose temper way too easily. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, I'm moving way too fast because I'm about to flip out right now. You know what I'm saying? Um, Hypersensitivity, your feelings get hurt very, very easily out of nowhere. Um, restlessness, when you do stop to rest, you just can't relax. Compulsive overworking, what do you do when you're done working? You just go back to work. Um, like numbness, no emotional capacity for another person. Escapist behaviors, some of you said Netflix, right? Disconnected from, disconnected from identity or calling. Um, not able to tend to human needs, hoarding energy or slippage in spiritual practices. My point is that we have a problem, and the problem is time, and the solution is coffee. No, I'm just kidding. The solution, <laughs> the solution is not coffee. The solution, here's the solution right here, to slow down, to simplify our lives around the essentials of discipleship to Jesus. That is the way we are created. That is the way that we are called. Humanity is defined in two ways, and you'll find this throughout Scripture. Number one, we are made in the image of God, and that is a beautiful reality. You're made in the image of God. But in, in the other reality is that you are made from dirt. So that is the substance, you know what I'm saying? So if you've read Genesis, so image of God, but dirt. Okay, so, um, so we need to be on a journey of living into our potential as the image of God, but also understanding our limitations as human beings, right? And I think that gives us a beautiful moment to allow God to, to lean into him, to allow him 
to match our pace with him and to take on his yoke. And our culture is really good at talking about potential, and I'm all for that for sure. But it's just as important, if not more so, to look into our limitations and to understand those and to be conscious of our limits so that we can live deliberate and purposeful lives, so that we can live emotionally healthy, spiritually rich lives. How many of you wanna live emotionally healthy, spiritually rich lives? I believe it begins by slowing down, slowing down and take on the easy yoke of your rabbi Jesus. Um, your busyness depends on a decision that is made every single day. It's, it's a decision that we make. I've heard it said that you make your decisions and then your decisions make you, but I believe that that's true about your schedule as well. You make your schedule and then your schedule makes you. And who's the ultimate one in control there? You, us, yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> um, we, excuse me, we have to ask ourselves the question, if you continue at your pace of life, what kind of person will you become? If you continue at your pace of life, what kind of person will you become? You have to decide, will we continue at the breakneck speed through life and just try to work in a little bit of Jesus whenever we get the chance? Or will we radically alter the pace of our life, slow down and take on the easy yoke of Jesus? Sometimes, especially around this time of year, setting goals, putting more things on the calendar like we're tempted to do um, in our lives, it, it sometimes makes it more chaotic. But maybe some of us, we need to set a goal of like, man, 2019, I'm gonna learn how to say no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn how to declutter my schedule so that I can center myself around, myself around the teaching and practices of Jesus. Taken seriously, I believe this has the power to radically alter the trajectory of our lives, where our lives are headed. And um, as we kind of wrap up, and some of you are like, I'm trying to hurry out of here, okay? About time you wrap up. Um, I've got two quick points, two quick preface, or oh, I don't know, two quick points. Number one, you might be thinking, Nick, I see what you're saying. This is a great point. That was really cute. But I have kids to raise. I have a job to do. I have responsibilities and a family to take care of. And it's easy for you to say because you don't have kids in which I would say I have 50 high schoolers, but that's beside the point, love you guys. Um, and you might be thinking, Jesus wants me to go all in when it comes to helping people out though, right? Like, shouldn't I sacrifice my life for the glory of God and pack out my schedule and say, you're darn right, I'm serving God from the time I wake up until the time I finally fall over. And, and what I would have to say is keep pressing in, keep pressing in, but Jesus' desire is to be the one helping you along the way. Jesus' desire is to be the one where you're matching your pace with him and he's carrying most of the weight. We reread this in, in the Psalms, be still and know that I am God. We only know God when we, are first, when we first create space to be still. So what would it be like to, yeah, for sure, press in, but are you being still enough? Are you, are you being close enough and, and slowing your life down enough to be near to God himself? By all means, press in, but don't do it alone. There is also a difference between um, a full life and a busy life, right? Jesus lived a very full life. His schedule was, I assume, pretty darn cramped. Um, but everything he did was deliberate and purposeful. He lived a, life, a full life, but he wasn't distracted from his calling. He didn't allow the chaos around him to distract him from his purpose and calling. So by all means, 
Go all in, but don't, go, don't grow distracted from the one who wants to sustain you through it. I think sometimes our lives start with great intentions and then we get so distracted from the, from the uh, direction that we are going in the first place. And the second thing is this. To be completely honest, um, some of us in this room, we need to hear the opposite of this message, right? Like some of you are sitting in here and you're like, heck yeah, I'm gonna slow my life down. You know, I haven't done anything in weeks. So, so <laughs> some, of, some of you are struggling to do anything with life in general and you don't need to hear the message of slowing down. You need to hear the message of Jesus saying, dude, get out of the boat, we're going, you know, come follow me. And I, I thought this quote was just perfect for this. The Christian message isn't always let go and let God, but rather trust God and get going. Some of you need to hear, you just need to trust God and do something, okay? So, so please don't take this as an invitation into like slothfulness or laziness. This is a message of deliberate and purposeful living around the easy yoke of Jesus. And um, we just kind of want to shift gears here. I just want to talk a little bit about why this is important Anyways, this is the gospel message. If you've never heard this, please listen up. If you have heard this, please, please listen up. Um, I love this saying here. Jesus took on the hell he didn't deserve to give us the heaven that we didn't deserve. Jesus took on the hell that he didn't deserve to give us the heaven that we didn't deserve. Jesus, he's come, he's come to do something, and it says this in scripture. He's come to seek and save the lost, and um, he has rescued us lost people from what? Sin, the death grips of sin. At one point, we were in the death grips of sin, unable to be released from that, and Jesus came to seek and save us from that reality. And when we taste and see that the Lord is good, which is what we do when we experience him for the first time, everything changes and nothing else does it for us anymore. The taste of anything else doesn't do it for us anymore because the Lord is the best thing, he's the, he's the good thing, he's the greatest thing. And, and the dark parts of your life, when you taste this, the dark parts of your life, they begin to experience light for the first time. And the hopeless parts of your life, they start to experience hope for the first time. And the confusing parts of your life, all of a sudden you start to see more clearly. And I just wanna say, if you're here this morning, Jesus loves you a whole lot, but he also loves you too much to just leave you where you're at. So what did he do? He went to great lengths to rescue you. You and I, he rescued us and he went to great lengths to do so. If that excites somebody in this room, let's just give a shout of praise or something. Awesome. And, and we, we set time aside every single Sunday to literally take in that reality and it changes us to take in that reality through communion. And we remember, we remember our need for an answer and that our answer has come and his name is Jesus. We had a whole lot of questions because we couldn't do it on our own and, and Jesus came and said, I'm what you've been looking for. And what we do is we take bread and we take a cup um, representing Jesus's body and blood and we receive it. We literally consume it. And, and we, we see that we are not enough on our own, so what do we do? We clothe ourselves in the resurrecting power of Christ. And then we just get, we get filled up, and what do we do? We hit the streets with the love of Jesus, and we show people who he is. There's no greater honor than that. So as we take communion um, this morning, first off, I'm just gonna give you a little moment to just be still. It says, be still and know that I am God. We're gonna be still and then I'm gonna pray. And as soon as I'm done praying, feel free to take communion whenever you're ready.
God, we're thankful that you didn't just leave us here to figure out life on our own. You gave us instructions, you gave us your word, but you gave us your example in Jesus. We're so thankful that um, when the world is chaotic around us and, and calling us into that same chaos, you can step in and invite us to match our pace with yours. God, we're thankful that you love us so much that you, you didn't just leave us there, you did something about it, you rescued us. God, for that reason, we, we are compelled to respond. We're motivated to respond. We wanna forever give our lives to you. God, I just pray that this week, this year, 2019, I just pray that people experience who you are through us as you develop us into people that are more and more like Jesus. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Feel free to take communion whenever you're ready.